We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. You should have seen my face every single time, uh, especially in the fourth. Uh, you, you know, the first three quarters, obviously, uh, making plays for all of us. Uh, now it's probably the most wide open I've ever been in my career. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of easy baskets. I used to have to have to work for everything, but in the fourth quarter, uh, the shot making ability, uh, you know, shot creation, uh, should have seen my face. I was just like, uh, never, never had this. Uh, nothing close to it. So hopefully that continues. And uh, we didn't even play our best, but I think we can be way better than that. Well, that is an effusive Joel Embiid after last night's Sixers win after James Harden's debut and a man who covers the Sixers as well as anybody in this town. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner, B-O-D-N-E-R-N-B-A, or subscribe to The Daily Six, his uh, newsletter about the Sixers. And um, Derek, let's kind of start with that, not Harden individually, but what Harden is going to mean for Joel Embiid. Yeah, he's going to mean a lot for Joel Embiid. Um, you know, he is not only the best scorer that Joel Embiid has played with, but the best half-court passer that he's ever played with, too. And there's nobody that he has played with that comes even close to being able to put pressure on a defense in a half-court like James Harden. You know, I think what we're going to see a lot of is, you know, you saw a lot of James Harden being trapped on the perimeter coming off of a pick-and-roll. That's going to open up the world for Joel Embiid. That's going to open up the world for the shooters around Embiid and Harden. Uh, it is going to be a lot easier Joel Embiid you know there was a Joel Embiid has had his struggles in the playoffs in part because being a post player in a playoffs it's so easy to double team him and now with James Harden on on the team that is I mean it's just it's it's worlds easier for Joel Embiid Uh, it is something he has never had he will be open more often than he ever has been Uh, and it's going to benefit everyone not just Embiid but all the role players around them too Derek, I, I watching last night's game, and we all we told, we spent the last two hours really talking about it. Um, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was it was really terrific. Uh, but I'm just your your perception. How what surprised me was how good they were for the first time on the floor together. I mean, the whole and not just and not just Embiid and Harden, but I mean the whole how the whole thing worked. I mean, how smooth it was. I mean, they only had three turnovers in the first half, uh, and. I mean, it looked like they had been playing together all season. I mean, that was the part that surprised me, was how, how good they were for the first time out. Did it surprise you, too? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, I, it, it's not only, um, you know, look, Minnesota isn't exactly the world's greatest defense. They're not terrible. They've actually improved quite a bit. Patrick Beverly addition, addition of Beverly helped them a lot. Um, but they're respectable, but they're not good. Uh, and I think that's a team that wasn't really built to, you know, they like to really blitz the pick and roll. And against James Harden, he's too good to do that He's going to put you into too many rotations. He's going to create too many open shots for his teammates. So I think there will be teams that will 
you know, if we're going to see bumps, it'll probably be down the road a little bit. But for an opening night performance, um, you know, that was as good as you could have possibly hoped for. They've never played with, with each other. Um, all the role players seemed like they knew their role, which is going to be key. Um, it was, and, and the two-man game between Embiid and Harden was as good as you could have expected. Uh, yeah, that was as good of an opening uh, performance as you could hope for. Uh, like I said, I do think there's going to be teams that will um, expose their lack of familiarity against each other, uh, and we'll see how quickly they can become familiar and, and play off of each other. But for an opening night, that was borderline perfection. It was it was tremendous, and it was a ton of fun. And let's talk about Harden individually. Um, 27 points, I mean, really efficient. Um, Step-back jumper just was deadly. draws fouls, everything he does. Uh, The guy we saw last night, for people who maybe don't watch the NBA as closely as you do, is that the James Harden we expect to get for the rest of the season and moving forward? Stylistically, for sure. Um, You know, that is the kind of game that he plays. He's going to live at the foul line and from beyond the three-point line. Uh, You know, some of those, he does take a lot of, you'll look at his three-point percentage sometimes, and it's not great. Uh, And part of that is because he takes some very tough, high degree of difficulty shots, a lot of step backs, a lot of contested shots. So that five for seven from deep won't always, you know, that there will be some two for sevens from deep thrown in there, but the kind of pressure that he puts on the defense by being willing to shoot from so, so deep and so quick and being able to get uh, into the paint and create for others. You know, I think one thing that kind of got lost when he initially went to Brooklyn, he was playing this way more of a distributor role that I think we saw throughout much of last night as well. Uh, he sort of had to become, I won't call it the old James Harden, but a little more uh, ISO-heavy one-on-one scoring because you know Durant and Irving were out of the lineup so much. But I think right now at this stage of his career, he wants to facilitate a little more. Uh, I expect him to average double-digit in assists. Yeah, I think stylistically that is the James Harden you can expect. Like I said, he's not going to make five out of seven every night from deep. He just takes too tough a shot to do that. But he is going to continually put pressure on the defense uh, and, and yeah. Before the before the trade was made in the uh, in the weeks leading up to it, a lot was written and a lot was said about the trade and about Harden and what he represented at this point in his career. And it was suggested by a, a number of people, especially the people up in New York, that you know that his game had slipped, that he wasn't the player that he had been in Houston, that there was there were signs of age and there were signs of wear and tear, and that he wasn't you know he wasn't that guy anymore. Um, you saw, I mean, you saw plenty of him. Did you buy into any of that? No, I think his athleticism has probably slipped a little bit. Um, you know, not a tremendous amount. I think he's still capable of quite a lot. But I think that's part of why this is the right spot for him. You know, I think he if you were going to ask him to be that league-leading scorer that he was in Houston for a couple of years there, I think he would probably struggle a little bit. You know, not like he couldn't do it, but he would be slightly less efficient in doing so. Um, so, yeah, I think he's lost a little, like a half-step athletically. But I think his game has never been truly based 100% off of athleticism anyway. He's so crafty. He's so good off the dribble. He's so good with his deep shot. And he's, he's just he sees the floor both as a passer and as a scorer so well that I don't think he's going to drop off precipitously right now. Um, so, yeah, I think he's probably lost a half step in his athleticism from what he was when he was 27, 28. Uh, if he was asked to be the James Harden league-leading scorer right now, I think we would see more of that. But paired next to Joel Embiid, I think we're going to be very pleased with what we see offensively. Derek Bodner is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA. You tweeted last night, Daryl Morey's 16-month personal nightmare of experiencing life without James Harden ends in 20 minutes. You put it right before the game. What is Explain, uh, for those who may not know, the relationship between those two. Yeah, I mean, 
much of Daryl Morey's legacy is tied towards James Harden. Uh, I think there is unfinished business, a feeling on both ends of unfinished business from their time in Houston. And look, the moment that J- uh, Daryl Morey came to Philadelphia, there was speculation, not only externally, but internally within the Sixers, that this was the end goal. This was a, a what they were working towards. And look, if Damian Lillard or somebody of that ilk became available at any point before they acquired James Harden, do I think Daryl Morey would have acted on that? Yeah, for sure. But they didn't. Uh, and I think this was always in the back of Daryl Morey's mind. I think there's an extreme level of comfort between Morey and Harden. Uh, and I think Morey very obviously appreciates what James Harden brings to the basketball court. And he plays the, kind, the style of basketball that Daryl Morey wants to play. Um, so it's just, it, you know, these are two people who were speculated about um, for months and months and months. It came out to be true. I think James Harden was always in the back of Daryl Morey's mind. Uh, the question was only whether or not it would work out in Brooklyn. It didn't, uh, and when that became evident, then it was this, I don't want to say it seemed like destiny, but this was always going to be a pursuit. I guess the, you know, the, the offensive part of it, I think we saw all of it last night, and we saw the promise of what it could be, and, and that part of it really only figures to get better and better as, as they play together more. Um, the question is at the other end of the court defensively, because you know James Harden has never been considered a great defensive player, uh, and if you look at the way the Sixers work, the Sixers are not a team – that switches a lot on defense. It's just not what they do. It's just not uh, – it doesn't suit their personnel. It's not Doc Rivers' style. They're not a switching defense much. But throughout Harden's career, he's kind of had to – because of the kind of player he is, he's had to be a guy that's run through a lot of switches. How do you think they're going to – how do you think they're going to reconcile that and work him in and, you know, ultimately down the road, will they be a better defensive team or will they be a good enough defensive team to win in the postseason? Yeah. Um, and that, that, It's a good point because it's 100% true. James Harden's teams have always switched a lot. In part, that is because James Harden's biggest benefit defensively is that he is big, he is strong, he can hold his own even against bigger players. And part of it, it's to conserve energy. Um, and, you know, he's not the most attentive or engaged defender. Uh, by switching, it minimizes that a little bit. It's real tough for the Sixers to switch, especially when you run a pick and roll with Joel Embiid. They do not want Joel Embiid switching too much, in part because of the energy it would exert, but also in part because he is maximized by being near the rim where he can impact the most number of shots. I, and I think you saw a couple of miscommunications last night uh, where James Harden wanted to switch. Some of his teammates weren't expecting it, and you saw open driving lanes because of it. You know, I think the Sixers will switch a little more than they have been to make use of James Harden. I don't think that will be a ton of you know screens with Embiid, but the other three players on the court, I think you could see a little more switching. But overall, there is no perfect solution to this team's defense. I think that is going to be true even in those minutes when Joel Embiid is off the floor. And now you're, you know, I think you saw Paul Millsap out there. And I think Doc Rivers, in those minutes where Harden is on the court without Embiid, I think Doc Rivers wants some shooting at that five spot to help space the floor, to help Harden with the pick and rolls. And that's just going to make the defense even worse. I don't think it's going to be a top, you know, five level defense. I don't think it's going to be a dominant defense where you go into the playoffs and you're 100% comfortable with it. But I think Joel Embiid is almost single-handedly enough to keep them where they will be good. Uh, And whether or not that is enough with what they can do offensively remains to be seen. There aren't very many perfect teams. This is probably their one main flaw, especially because their only real plus, like elite shutdown type defender is Matisse Thibel, who is tough to play offensively on many nights and, and will be tough to play offensively in the playoffs. Danny Green taking a step back certainly hurts them in that regard. All right, so last one for me, and it's a two-parter, and I know I'm asking you to project a lot, but kind of looking at the East, 
Um, where, where do you kind of rank them now? Where are they in the pecking order among the elite teams? And the second part of the question, which relates to the first, is can Doc Rivers do this? Is he up to this? Yeah. Um, I would still, in terms of just pure probability, I would probably put the Bucks still slightly ahead of them just because of their familiarity, just because of, of Giannis and how good he is. But I yeah, think the, the Sixers certainly have done an it. upside. Right. And because they've done it. I think the Sixers certainly have an upside where they can compete with them. I think this is where sort of like the gelling and the familiarity and the coaching becomes a big factor into it. Um, so I would put the, the Bucks slightly ahead of them. I would put the Sixers ahead of, you know, the Heat and the Bulls. All due respect, uh, they both had tremendous seasons. They would both be, especially the Heat would be dangerous in the playoffs. I think the Sixers have an high, a higher end outcome. Um, and the Nets, I have quite frankly no idea how to handicap right now. They certainly have the upside. I don't know whether or not um, what the probability of that would be. So I'd put the Sixers right now second in the East. Doc Rivers' part is a little bit tougher. Um, you know, I think this is a squad that now more fits the style of play that he wants to play. I think he is better equipped to win in the playoffs than he was in previous year. But that being said, last year was the easiest road to the conference finals that you will ever see. Uh, and with the way they sputtered out there in the second round, Doc has had his playoff moments, and I don't mean that in a good way. Yes, um, right. He doesn't necessarily right. re- react all that well on his feet, it doesn't seem, uh, adjust all that well in a seven-game series. It's a legitimate concern. He's clearly done it before. That was just a very different era of basketball, and he had three Hall of Famers. Um, by and large, I think talent in the NBA wins, so I think the Sixers have a shot. But I do have my concerns with Doc as well. Um, and I was I was actually going to ask that question, but I'll I'll take it one step further, Derek. Um, if this team, as it's constructed now, and you know they they really do look good, and it's realistic, I kind of agree with you. I I I have them in Milwaukee kind of neck and neck in the East, but I think it's you could make the case that yeah, they could get to the finals for sure. If they if they stumble in the playoffs, if they lose in round two, let's say, and in the minds of most people, underachieve given what they are right now. Doc Rivers' job on the line? I would certainly think so. I mean, there, there's nothing that leads to changes in coaches quicker than expectations. Um, I think that's true pretty much across all sports. I think that, that would be true here, just hypothetically. Um, obviously, I'm not, you know, not sure what Daryl's thinking, but expectations tend to lead to changes. Uh, and if they don't meet expectations, you know, if, if they show out well here in the playoffs, if they get to the conference finals or are competitive, or if they get to the finals, certainly I think Doc would have a, a another year here to, to give it a go. But if you lose in the first or second round, uh, expectations tend to result in changes. Uh, yeah, yes. I would think that anything would be on the table. Um, and whether or not you know Daryl Morey is comfortable with Doc or not, um, that would be a huge underachievement for sure. Well, let us hope it gets better than that. And, uh, boy, Wednesday night, uh, last one is just going to be something special down at, uh, in South Philly, isn't it? That was a question, but yes, it is. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I, didn't hear <laughs> I was asking. Part. I know. I, I kind of said it as a statement, but I was. I, I guess I was looking for your affirmation that Wednesday night's going to be tremendous down there. Yeah, for sure. And I was thinking about this before I came on. Uh, like in terms of debuts and excitement, I really do think you probably have to go back to To uh, and, and the way that yeah. that season started against the Giants. I can't remember anything. Even I mean, certainly with the Sixers, most of their debuts don't really go as planned. Uh, whether that's Chris, Chris Weber or any of the other ill-fated stars the Sixers have acquired. This was the one that has worked out, and there's an excitement level that I think is palpable and real and, and, and worth it. Amen. Derek Bodner, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Yep, thank you. Thanks, right, Derek. Well. Yeah.
They lost their first game with Julius Irving. <laughs> Is that right? Was that a home game? It was a home game. Was that yeah. the one, uh, I think you told me the story, where the guy runs onto the field with the Dodgers? Yeah, Steve kid. Soames, the season ticket holder. The guy who had the court do sits right at midcourt yeah, yeah. on the floor. Uh, came running out on the floor with a doctor's kit and handed it to Julius right when he was introduced. It was it brought the house down. It was so funny. Doc got a big and laugh. Then, and then it. they lost. And then they lost. Then the game. Then the game started, and they lost. I think. I think it was San Antonio, if I'm not mistaken. Worked out well in the long. Yeah, run. they they kind of got it worked out. But I mean, it was it was kind of what you expect. I mean, a guy comes in brand new, never played with his teammates before, and you know, the ball's bouncing off people's feet, going out of bounds, and. You know, it's it's not quite you. You go in there with one set of expectations, and okay, this is what it is. But okay, it'll get better over time. And to be honest, I kind of thought that it was that was kind of what it was going to look like last night. And there was none of that. I mean, it was. I mean, it was. It was just about perfect right from right from the start. That's what's so exciting about this. You know, what's always the part of the Julius Irving story that I have a tough time understanding is that the guy who was the owner of the team, Fitz Dixon, right, had no idea who Julius Irving was. Right. When they're getting him from the NBA. Right. Right? And then Pat Williams had to kind of ex- – it was Pat Williams, right? Well, Pat Williams was the GM, right. Okay. He, he drove out to Fitz's house out in, uh, you know, out in Ert- – Villanova. Ert- Nine Farms, yeah, out there in, in White Marsh. And said, Mr. Dixon, we have a chance to get Julius Irving. And Fitz said, who's that? <laughs> How do you own an NBA team? I know Irving was in the ABA, but he was Julius Irving. I, everybody knew who Julius Irving was. Everybody except the gentleman who owned the Sixers. <laughs> so what kind of owner was Fitz Dixon? I uh, came here, Harold Katz owned the team, right? Nobody liked Harold Katz by the time I got here because he was, you know, he was working out potential guys in the in his driveway. Right. Right. So he was regarded as way too involved. Yeah, uh, Harold was very, very hands-on. But so giving Harold credit, he was, he was the guy that said, we're, we're getting Moses Malone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not – I'm just saying what the perception of him was uh, but f- from fans. But Fitz Dixon owned the team, and, like, he didn't know anything about basketball? Not really, no. Not really. I mean, but he what, didn't interfere, which no, he just he just, stayed, he just totally stayed out of it. But yeah, uh, that's a good owner. You know what, Pat? What Pat sold him? My Pat said to him, "Julius Irving is the Babe Ruth of basketball," and uh, Fitz said, "Okay, good, let's sign him." And that and that was how and that was how it went down. Yeah, but Pat's told that story many times. He literally did not know who Julius Irving was, but when he heard he was the Babe Ruth of basketball, that was that was good enough. Well, he knew who Babe Ruth was. He did know who Babe Ruth was. Right, yeah. Well, that's 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 good. But Fitz Dixon was a very nice man. I met him a number of times. But he was a, uh, you know, he was he was he was very, he was the he was the definition of the word patrician. I mean, he really was. Uh, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, he was a real courtly, wealthy gentleman. You know, you know, always the tie was always pulled up. He was always, <laughs> his pants were always pressed. <laughs> he was, it was a very, he was a very nice guy uh, who was who was involved in the sports, but didn't necessarily follow it. And in this case, he certainly didn't follow the ABA. Can I give you a, a, the flip side of that story? Sure. So when I when I worked for the Detroit Free Press, I I once wrote a long magazine profile on Bill Frieder, who was the Michigan coach at the time. Mm-hmm. Right? You remember Bill Frieder? Oh, sure. Okay. Before uh, Steve Fisher, and um, Frieder just only knew basketball. That's what he knew. And actually, what's funny is the story involves Doc Rivers. So Bill Frieder is he's looking and he's recruiting and he sees a story that says if Bo Derrick is a ten, Doc Rivers is a nine. Right? Probably at the time with Glenn Rivers, but is is a nine. And Frieder says, I don't know about Doc Rivers, but we might want to go after this Bo Derrick guy. 
<laughs> and had no idea. Oh, that's uh, coaches are the best. I mean, they they right. live they live in their own world. I know. Yeah, I know, sure do. I know. I know. I've told I've I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's just so. And I love I love Dick Vermeil. God, I love I love Dick Vermeil. Oh, yeah, but he, but he sure. but he he might be the classic example. Yes. Of this. I mean, the Eagles when Dick was coaching them early on. Um, they they would sometimes practice over at Old Kennedy Stadium, the stadium that hosted the Army Navy game, just to get off the artificial turf, just to go over there and practice on grass, so that the, it wouldn't just kill the guy's legs. So they would occasionally go over there and practice. So they were going over to Kennedy Stadium to practice one day, and the Rolling Stones were coming in to uh, do a concert at uh, at uh, JFK Stadium, uh, and so they were building this stage uh, at at one end of the stadium, at this massive old stadium. And so after practice, I mean, Dick had no idea what, what was going on. And he looked over, and they're, they're, they're building these scaffolds and hammering stuff into place. And he said, what's going on over there? And the writers were all gathered around, and we said, well, you know, Rolling Stones are coming in, and uh, there's going to be a concert here this week. And, you know, Dick just kind of gave us this blank stare. And, and then I kind of jokingly, just to tweak him a little bit, said, you, you do know who the Rolling Stones are, right? And, and Dick's response was, yeah, of course I know them. My 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 kids get their magazine. Oh. <laughs> well, wasn't the the ultimate Vermeil story that during the bicentennial, which I guess was that same year, when they had the tall ships parade, or they had the fireworks? It was the fireworks? And, right. The, the team was in training camp. They were out okay, there. Go ahead. They were out of, they were, no, they were out of Widener. They that oh, was they were the, Widener. Okay. I, uh, okay. Go ahead. You know the story. Well, I I was covering them. Uh, they were that was their Dick's first training camp. They were at Widener University, uh, which was uh, everybody knows where Widener is, and it was the bicentennial. And the day that the, the day that the team reported was July the July the third. So oh, July the fourth comes the next day. It's the bicentennial of all things. So 200th birthday of the America and all kinds of fireworks. There's flyovers. There's all this. The, you know, the Queen of England is here coming to Philadelphia. It's all this stuff is happening. All this stuff is happening. It's all happening in Philadelphia. And Dick is completely unaware of any of it. And he's in his room uh, at the dorm at Widener looking at tape or going through his playbook or whatever. And all of a sudden the fireworks just start bam, bam, bam outside the window. And Dick goes to the window and looks out and says, what's going on? And Carl Peterson, who will actually be his presenter in Canton this year. Yeah. Carl Peterson says, well, Dick, it's, you know, it's 4th of July. It's the, not just the 4th of July, but it's the bicentennial. It's the 200th birthday of America. And, and Dick says, well, I don't care whose birthday it is. You know, make this stop. You know, this is, the, like, this is, the, guys are trying to get to sleep. I'm trying to get some work done here. You know, tell them to stop. Well, I, I can't really tell them to stop. I mean, this is a little bit bigger than what we're doing here right now. But that's, you know, that's the mentality of a coach. You know, they that's, they that's are the way so they are. narrow focused. It's really an odd thing. Yeah. And football more than anything. Oh, yeah. So, oh, or yeah. Co- or college basketball. College basketball coaches kind of live that bubble, as, as with the Frieder story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, well, I'll, I'll give you one other v- very quick one. And, it's, and it's, uh, it goes across the board. It's, I mean, Joe Gibbs was exactly. Oh, was, gosh, yes. Joe Gibbs was exactly like Dick. I mean, exactly. Yeah, I got a Joe like, Gibbs story, but you go first. Exactly Yours like that. Probably and, better. Yeah. Um, was in the middle of the. Um, uh, Iran Contra controversy when that was all anybody talked about in the news, uh, and Ollie North, everybody knew, you know, Ollie, Ollie North was on the news every night. Um, of course, they, the Washington is right there in Washington. So one day of practice, Ollie, Oliver North comes to the Redskins practice, and they, you know, the, the Redskins PR director, at the end of practice, walks Oliver North over to meet Coach Gibbs and uh, introduces Joe Gibbs to Oliver North. Joe Gibbs had no idea who he was. None. 
I mean, he's he was, only he was on TV eighteen hours. He was, a day he's on at television that point. Or, uh, twenty-four hours a day. Oliver right. North is testifying before the. He's on Senate committees. He's on television constantly. Yeah. I mean, there was nobody that. And front page of the Washington Post, front page of the New York Times. Oliver North was everywhere. They brought him over to introduce him to Joe Gibbs at the end of a Washington practice. Joe looked at him, had no idea who he was. None. Yeah. I once did a uh, feature on Gibbs for the Inquirer when I was in the in the sports department there, and I got to interview him for a while. And it, it was kind of like a Joe Gibbs off the field, which turned out to be not the greatest feature in the world because, as you suggest, there wasn't much to it. And I remember asking him a question. It kind of related to his family and, you know, the, the coach sleeping in the office, that whole thing. And I said, how do you keep in touch with your family during the season? And he said – my wife records cassettes for me, and right. then when I'm either in the office or in the car, I listen to the cassettes. And I said, well, how's that going? He said, it starts out okay, and then usually she ends up being mad at me for not being there. So she kind of hollers, and then I just turn off the cassette. Mm-hmm. So, it's a true story. So that was, that was it. True story. Yeah, man, not the life for me. Told me the right. same. Told it told me the same thing. It told Is that me right? Exactly the same thing. Yep. Oh, well, you yep. probably wrote it before I did. And, they just never, and, and, and he just never went home. He doesn't. No. I mean, he, those guys—they just lived. They just lived at the complex. Yeah. And they would go home after the game. Uh, they would come back to the office on Monday, and they wouldn't go home until the following weekend. Yeah, that's eh, not good. Not the life for me. New two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Steve and Gerald, the other guys hanging in. We'll get you coming up on the other side. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mac, now on ninety four WIP. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.